At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining me. My name is Jacob, and this is Hunt Detail, an introspective examination of nuance and detail within hunting gear and hunting woodsmanship, particularly within big game species of whitetail and elk hunting. Every week, I'll be providing a solo podcast with sort of my thoughts and take on different issues within the hunting space, again, regarding hunting gear or woodsmanship. And the first one that I'm going to share with you or sort of start with is really an autopsy of an unfilled elk tag. About a month ago, I returned back from a backcountry archery solo uh, elk hunt in a western state. And um, unfortunately, I'll spill the beans, I did not fill that tag. Now, to tell this story and to give you sort of my perspective and insight on that hunt, I need to go back a few years, about five years ago, when I first went on an elk hunt in a western state. It was um, a general elk tag in Montana, and um, it was public land. It was archery, DIY. Went with my dad and my brother, and uh, I had done a great deal of e-scouting, and this was before a lot of the e-scouting resources that we have now, if you can imagine that five years ago. Done a lot of physical prep and done a lot of uh, logistical prep because all of those things are critically important when you're coming from an eastern state like I am here in Kentucky and driving 1,000 miles or you know 1,500 miles or whatever to a, a western state, an area that you've never hunted before, a, a game that you've never hunted before. And uh, within the first day of full day of hunting, we were in elk. On day two, we were in that same group of elk. And then on day three, I actually uh, shot a small five by five, sort of a raghorn. He was sort of a satellite to a, a larger group of elk. And the the way that I was able to accomplish that was I I mean it was you know it was a this was incredibly steep, difficult terrain. Uh, it was near a burn or in a burn, and there were deadfall everywhere, and it was just, um, it was brutal, quite honestly. But um, I was able to get in uh, close to the herd, listening to them bugle as they started really firing off on day three on their own. They would respond in the previous days, but on day three, they started responding on their own. And for me, that was enough to get in close. Um, I'm really simplifying the hunt here, but get in close. Uh, I think they were about 8,000 feet and um, in elevation. And uh, I had a Montana decoy to sort of cover my movement, and I didn't call at all. 
It was purely ambush. I got on a game trail. I saw a big six by six. I saw cows. And I knew that once something came by, it was, uh, whether it was a cow or a bull, it was going to get an arrow. And very quickly, I had a bull at 80 yards, and he came in to 30 within seconds. And I put an arrow through his chest on a frontal shot, and it was absolutely deadly at 30 yards. It he bled out within seconds and was there was no trailing him at all. I could see him after he fell. But uh, ultimately, that's what got me started on this elk hunting journey. It was such a rush to be involved in a hunt of that nature. The difficulty of it made the reward that much greater in terms of packing the elk out and all of that goes along with that. And I won't go into the the full details of that hunt, maybe at a a later podcast. But keep in mind how I killed that elk. And then I'll circle back to this hunt in 2023. And so the autopsy part here is, in many ways, it was a success. I had never gone on a solo backcountry hunt of this type. my fitness prep was spot on. I was running miles and miles and miles every day uh, and, and really uh, with weight on my back, running with uh, these sort of glove type shoes to really work the, the individual muscles of my feet. I didn't want to run with a thick soled tennis shoe because I knew I wouldn't be hiking in a thick soled tennis tennis shoe and I wouldn't be I would need the muscles of my feet to be strong for side hilling etc so my fitness was was on point uh, I um, did a lot of uh, injury uh, or in, injury uh, recovery in terms of ice baths and that sort of thing and that was incredibly helpful and I've in- increased supplementation of different things that was seemed to be helpful. Uh, glucosamine and chondroitin, um, you know, in terms of helping my ligaments. And I'm, I mean, I'm almost a 50 year old man at this point. So a lot of things that might not hurt somebody younger than me does impact me differently. But from this particular elk hunt, I was my fitness was on point. My my. Uh, e-scouting was also on point. I was able to uh, get away from areas. I wanted to target areas that did not have lots of roads where ATVs could travel or e-bikes. I know a lot of folks use those things. I have no issues with them. I just don't personally use them. And I knew I didn't want to have to compete with that uh, because I I knew that that was going to be difficult. So for me, it was really a function of of uh, finding areas that I believed would hold elk, but also allow me to get away from people and pressure and really enjoy myself and not feel like I have to move because elk got bumped because of an ATV or because of another hunter, that sort of thing. So uh, my e-scouting was really top-notch. And and that means getting, you know, uh, road system maps, national... uh, the uh, uh, maps from uh, the National Park Service um, using lots of different map platforms in terms of, of course, Google Earth or 
of, of course, Onyx, but also using other map mapping platforms to look and find nuances within those 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 areas that of terrain uh, that I had identified. So those things were on point, and then I really I felt like the systems I put in place for as I whether it my was it my water system, uh, my food systems my uh, sleep systems, all of those things were also uh, dialed. And um, even systems at home while I was gone so that my family could do well while I was gone. Uh, that it wasn't a burden on them because I knew if it was going to be a burden on them, it was going to distract me while I was, uh, you know, a thousand miles away. And then even systems with work, because I knew that if I wasn't able to feel like work was was at a good spot to, to walk away from for 14 days, then I knew that it was going to be difficult for me to focus. So, um, so again, as I get into the hunt itself, um, I won't get into the details of each particular day, but what I can tell you is that on day two, I got into elk, and these elk weren't 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 talking particularly, but or at least the bull wasn't bugling, but the cows were mewing, and I had done some cow calling. I think that got them talking, and um, I I I worked in to get um, I worked downwind of this particular bull. I didn't know if he was a satellite. He wasn't exactly a big bull, but and there were these cows that were there, and I knew that there was potential for a lot of some extra eyeballs in it, and even eyeballs that I didn't even I wasn't even aware of. Like was whether was there a whole herd bull somewhere? Was he how close or how far was that herd bull? Um, so I wanted to get downwind to sort of evaluate the situation, and it seemed like he was feeding towards a downwind spot. And if I had stayed in my position, he would have fed down to where, where my scent cone was going. And I didn't want that, of course. So that was how I chose to play my cards, was to circle downwind. I lost visual of him. And I don't know if I had spooked him or bumped him. But then a little bit later, a cow came in and she came into about 30 yards of me. I had my decoy up. And uh, and then I wasn't going to shoot her. It was day two. And I wanted to get a shot at a bull. And so I waited and waited and waited. And, and then it got to a point where I was like, okay, I need to start moving. The wind had shifted a bit. Or the thermals had shifted. And so I moved up. And, um, and unfortunately, they caught, eventually I got in closer. I didn't know exactly where they were. They got in, I got in closer, but I got to a point where I got too close and they saw movement that was unnatural. I had the decoy, but there was something that they didn't like and they didn't catch my scent. But ultimately, they moved off. And over the course of the next uh, you know, a total of eight days. I was in elk every day, every morning and every evening, uh, and even sometimes during the middle of the day when they were bedded. And it was an amazing experience. And, but I think coming out of that, 
and I'm not going to bore you all with a day by day. I had other, I moved to a different area. I experienced other bulls, uh, a dinosaur of a bull, and other cows, and um, and and ultimately, none of those interactions translated. It was incredibly thick. And you would catch a piece of a bull, an elk. You might see a, a, a tail here, a shoulder here, or a, you'd see them moving through, trying to get to a bedding area. And um, and it was a pretty incredible experience. I, I had this this dinosaur bull bugling at me at you know roughly forty yards, but he wasn't close enough to get a shot at, and. Um, and then there were other scenarios where winds shifted and such whatnot. But, but I wanted to throw out a concept of that I think a lot of hunters struggle with, whether it's whitetail hunting or whether it's hunting elk or maybe it's other big game. And it's, it's really the, sca- the fear of failing. And not in the sense of failing on a, a total hunt. It's fear of fear of failing in that particular moment in the moment where you have the bull that's maybe they're a hundred yards away or maybe they're you know where they're bedded or maybe you know you have an idea of where they are or maybe you hear them bugling maybe it's the white tail where you have an idea where he's bedded or you don't know where he's bedded and you don't want to to bump that you know you don't want to potentially bump that that deer for fear of never seeing him again so you play it so safe that if nothing happens then you did nothing wrong and you can say to yourself well I didn't blow it you know the elk was over here I didn't I didn't bugle I didn't I didn't I didn't execute a strategy and therefore I didn't blow it and that's where I think I the the failure of this hunt came in for me. Now I want to circle back to the 2018 hunt. I killed that elk ambush style, much the way that I kill deer here in the east, which is ambush style. I'm up in a tree hunting whitetails. They don't sort of know that I'm there. At least they shouldn't, and I get a shot, and then the last thing they know is that an arrow's been shot or something's been shot, and then they take off. And you know they hear a sound and they react and they maybe feel it and they know something happened, but they don't know what. And 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 I think when I I knew when I went into this hunt that that was my same strategy was to find a herd, find identify where they would bed. And then work into their bedding area. The problem was is that they were they would make they were talking in the morning, they were talking in the evening, but at those particular times they're not bedded. They are moving. And so good luck trying to be in the right spot at the right time. And so um you know, there were times where I, I found elk bedded and it was because I bugled and they and, and the bull would respond or 
you know, scenarios of that nature. But I think when, when an ambush style isn't working or whatever style you have on, on whatever particular hunt that you're on, I think it's critical to have maybe your core strategy, but then other strategies in your back pocket. And, and I think for me personally, I've taken for granted the calling side of elk hunting. I hear so much about it. Obviously, a lot of folks do it, and they, and they, and they complain about the results. So for me, I've always thought, well, I'll have a bugle tube, and I'll have these cow calls, which I did use a lot. But I feel like, as I reflect back on this, I was being more, pu- more passive than, than active. I had, there was a lack of calling prep on my end. I listened to the Corey Jacobsons of the world or the Paul Medell, otherwise known as the Elk Nut. And I listened to him, them both, and I understand the location bugle and some of the emotion that might be in a, other types of bugles if the, cow, if the bull has cows or doesn't have cows. I understand some of the nuance in terms of glunking or chuckling, but I don't know, I know that I have an opportunity there to bolster my elk calling system. And I'm going to call it a system because I, I think if you don't know your system, then when you're in the moment, you choose to do nothing again because you're, it's your, the fear of failing. If I do nothing, then nothing, then nothing I did went. I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't blow it. And so, the truth is, is I could have killed an elk. I could have killed a bull. I could have, you know, a lot of things could have happened where uh, I did exactly what I did. And I could have punched my tag. And this podcast would sound completely different. And I would be the greatest elk hunter in the world. But had I not had that failure, I wouldn't be doing this evaluation of myself in a way that, where I realized that my uh, sort of chink in my armor, it, it really is the, the elk calling piece. And, I, and I'm, not, I'm not really... I haven't invested the time and energy and effort that I have in other areas of my of my prep. As I mentioned, my physical prep, my fitness, my other systems, like in terms of sleep systems, water systems, etc. It really goes down to my elk calling system. And so I just want to encourage you all to think about and reflect on where are you most passive in your big game hunting and obviously it could be some other type of game but I'll focus on whitetail and elk because that's what I tend to do most or you so is your strategy so strong based on past experience that you lean on it too much in the whitetail woods and are there other strategies that you could develop and evolve to better your hunt game uh, to fill that tag accordingly. And so I will leave you with that. And those are the questions that I would encourage you to th- reflect on in terms of 
your passivity versus your your proactiveness or I would say your balcony versus your basement. What is it that you, you know, what is your balcony, that your strength, and what is your basement, which would be your weakness? Uh, thank you all for listening, and uh, you can find me on social media at J underscore Coons underscore Hunts. That's YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, where I have other forms, other types of content. Best of luck this season, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. All the best. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.